All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to a special episode of the podcast. But first, before we do that, uh, I want to mention to be sure to check out uh, what Scratch is doing with Adventures in Golf. Documentary filmmaker Eric Anders Lang is taking viewers on another tour around the globe, searching for the craziest, craziest and most intriguing stories and personalities in the game. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. Be sure to swing by Scratch and check that out. And a bit later in the show, we're going to talk a bit about Callaway's recent acquisition of clothing and apparel company, Travis Matthew. Really excited about this one. Uh, I've already sent in my sizes and can't wait to see what they're sending me in the mail. More details on this later. For now, let's get to a really awesome conversation we had with Roy McElroy. Let's go. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I'm Chris Solomon. We got the Swiss Army Knife DJ Pi on the ones and twos. And uh, joined for the first time in person, uh, round three, Rory McElroy. Rory, how are we feeling? Third time lucky. Third time lucky. It's been a while for us. I mean, this is like six months since our last. I know. One or yeah, like we've that. seen a lot of each other over the six months. But we have. We, we've been trying to trying to do this in person, but um, glad we could we could um, figure it out and make it happen. When was the last time you paid for golf? Uh, oh, um. <laughs> Best last opening time, starting question. Last time I played paid for golf, uh, Valderrama, when I was about fifteen or sixteen, played paid two hundred and fifty euros to play it. Twelve, so twelve years since uh, you paid for golf. Twelve, uh, yeah. I mean, unless you're counting like I pay my membership, like right, the Bears yeah. Club and stuff, but um, actually pay for my own golf. Yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> over a decade. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about this week a little bit. Uh, I want to talk first your intro into the first tee on Wednesday for the BMW Championship Pro-Am. Uh, have you ever had a cooler intro? Not quite, no. Driving a 6-liter V12 uh, BMW onto the first tee was, was a first. It was what was the cool. story there? Tell the story there. So um, I guess the, I was playing with a guy. Um, his name was Bruce, who had bought one of these cars. It was a 760M Sport. Um, and I think it was he was taking... He was the first guy to take delivery of it in the U.S. And BMW wanted to do something special for him. So we thought, okay, get Rory to, to drive it onto the first tee. He can play with Rory in the Pro-Am. Um, so that was basically it. So it was a pretty cool thing for him. And obviously he loved it and um, got a kick out of it. And something to, you know, some... He actually got me to sign the inside of the car. And I was like, I, I'm going to ruin this car. Like, it's just went from a 200 grand down to 150. <laughs> did you have to park it right where you parked it? And did you know you were going to have to essentially hit over it? Uh, no. So I knew I was going to have to park it there, but I, I thought it was going to be moved before I hit my opening <laughs> tee so shot. Too. I mean, I was hitting this five wood and aiming it so far right, trying to, I didn't want to try and hit over it because I'm like, if I get this thing a groove low, I mean, I could ruin this guy's car. So that would have gone, and you know, that's going to, that's going viral. Yeah, that. exactly. Probably would have reached more people. Yeah, <laughs> probably would have. Um, but I didn't want, so I was aiming this thing so far right and I hadn't hit a shot. So I hit balls on the range. I went for lunch. I did this thing. So I hadn't hit balls for maybe 45 minutes. And I got onto the first tee. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good. So I like chunk towed it onto the second. I think it was like on the second hole. Like, and if you know the first hole here at Conway Farms. That's where Solly hit it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. It's 80 yards right with a five wood. So it wasn't the best start. Um, 
I mean, I imagine you don't get really first tee jitters anymore, but that, that kind of situation might be a little bit different. Yeah, it's different. When yeah. someone parks a 200 grand car in front of you, yeah. you're trying to miss it. So. Well, because you had, I think you told me you were, you got in, at, you you left Bermuda Wednesday morning. Yeah. So you were getting out of the way of the hurricane. Is that the plan? Uh, no. So for um, my wife, Erica, we always go to Bermuda for her birthday. And it was the third year in a row that we did that. We actually had our first date in Bermuda during the Grand Slam in 2014. So. Wow. It's sort of a pretty sentimental. sentimental place for us. So we always go back to Bermuda and spend a week, and we love it there. We, it's, it's our favorite island. So uh, we just wanted to make the most of it. And um, with the two-hour time difference from, from Bermuda to, to here in Chicago, and we took off at um, 8.30 in the morning in Bermuda on Wednesday, landed here at 10. I was at the golf course for 11.30, did two hours of practice, did my thing, and rolled onto the first tee for the Pro-Am. So it was perfect. Hmm. So let's get some of the boring stuff out of the way first. So we talked a bit today about your schedule and stuff going forward. What's your plan yeah. to ride out the rest of the year? I know you're nursing an injury. You've been nursing it for a while, going to get it healed. So what is your plan going forward? Yeah, so my plan going forward is um, obviously I'm, I've got two more days left here to try to get to Atlanta. Uh, it's not looking great at the minute. Um, <laughs> this is going to come out on Monday, so it's already yeah, been decided. Yeah, okay. So, well, so we, call your shot. Okay, so I'd like to... Uh, I need to do something special. So say I don't get into Atlanta. I'm being real. Um, I'm going to play a couple more events in Europe. Uh, I'll probably play the British Masters that I haven't really... I haven't announced that. I haven't said it, but they're, they're holding an invitation for me just in case that I have to play it. So <laughs> Sponsors exemption. Um, yeah, because the, the entry date's already closed. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So we have to enter like three weeks in advance in Europe, I guess. So I haven't entered. So... Um, Thankfully, they're holding a spot for me, so that's nice. And then I'll play the Dunhill Links with my dad, which we've been excited for all year. Uh, so I don't want to miss that. So he's all, I mean, hes he can't wait for that. So we're going to do those two weeks. And then uh, and then that's it. I'm going to shut it down. Um, so from the end of the Dunhill, probably six weeks, I probably won't touch a club or swing a club and just let this thing fully heal, give it time, just rest, uh, do some rehab stuff, some exercises, but really just take that time to to get healthy again and uh focus on my body focus on my health i'm I'm gonna go and do some like physical tests and stuff and sort of figure out if there's anything that i'm eating that's causing this inflammation or anything that you know i'm just gonna reset yeah reset mentally physically just sort of go through the whole um the whole process of getting myself completely 100 percent right to go for next year what was the timeline on the injury? I mean, when did it first start? And then, you know, I'm sure it's probably changed your whole practice schedule and pretty much everything. Yeah, it's it's been really frustrating. So I um, I first felt it when um, I was practicing over the sort of Christmas and New Year period. Uh, every time I did a practice session, I could feel my upper left back getting tight. I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was just like, oh, I'm, I haven't hit balls for a while. I'm just, you know, a little sore and I'll get used to it type of thing. Um, but it just didn't go away. And I was hitting a lot of balls at that point because I was testing equipment and I was trying to get ready for the season. Uh, and then I, I went down to South Africa and played in that first event. And I was feeling really good about my game. I mean, I, I had worked hard. I, I got what I thought was, a you know, my, my clubs and my ball and everything. I was I was ready to go for the season. And I hit my second drive on the range on Thursday of that tournament. And I felt something just sort of, it wasn't a snap or a pop, but it just something went and it felt really, really bad. Uh, And I thought I was going to have to pull out after about four or five holes on Thursday in South Africa. Uh, And I didn't. I I sort of, I 
uh, took a couple of pretty strong anti-inflammatories, finished the round, got some treatment on it, not knowing what it was. I didn't go for a scan or anything. So played through the tournament, uh, got beaten in a playoff, and my game was in good shape. I think I finished like 18 or 19 under for the tournament, so I was playing good. But then I, I went back to Dubai. I, I, I hadn't pulled out yet of the next few events because I didn't really know what the how serious this was. Went and got a couple of scans done on that Monday in Dubai, uh, and it showed a stress fracture in my rib. So then that's when I was like, wow, I'm going to have to shut it down here for a while. Um, but the, the diagnosis is pretty straightforward for something like that. It's, it's six to eight weeks. It's rest. It's recovery. You can start to increase the load by about the fourth or fifth week, and by the sixth or seventh, eighth week, you should be back to full health. And that's what I was, and that's when I came back to Mexico. Um, so it felt really good through the Masters. Uh, and then I took a few weeks off. I got married. I went on honeymoon. Um, and then I went back. And instead of maybe just gradually increasing the practice each day, I went first day I got back, I was out there for five or six hours hitting balls and practicing and playing. Felt a little tight the next day. Uh, so that was a, that was my body show. I'm saying like, okay, you need to slow down here. But I practiced a little bit more the next day. And then on the Monday, the players... And I just announced that I was going with TaylorMade, all this sort of stuff. I felt to go again. I was like, oh, this is not good. Uh, but again, I persevered. I played through it during the, the players. I made the cut. I finished 35th. And then again, I went back and got another scan. And I hadn't re-fractured it, but there was a big stress response right in the same area. It was more the joint this time rather than the rib. And then I had to shut it down again. So it's, it's one of these things where... It's probably even though I'm going to take this six or eight weeks off and I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to get back to 100% fitness, it's something I'm going to have to monitor over the next sort of 12 to 18 months and, and really take care of it. So it's I've had to alter everything, I guess, yeah. The McJoint doesn't sound as good as the McRib. No, the say, McRib, did you, yeah. Did you McRib. come up with the joint thing just to avoid the nickname McRib? <laughs> I like McRib. I said to Tron, <laughs> I like it. I think it's 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 sort of sticking. Um, but yeah, so it's basically that. It's just this. It's the joint and it's the rib. The rib joint and the rib. That's been the problem. Um, and it's a real, like, you think about how mangled my ankle was in 15 after that that football accident and I'm back on the course six weeks and it hasn't given me ever any problems since. And this tiny little thing, yeah. I mean, it's just a tiny little area in my sort of back or rib or whatever. Uh, and it's just given me all these problems. So it's been, it's been annoying, but, um, at least I, we know what it is, which is a great thing. And I haven't done it any harm by playing these, these last few weeks. And at least I have this time you know, in the off season, sort of October, November, December, to make sure that when I come back out in January, I'm 100% ready to go. I mean, it feels like it's it's kind of hard to, and I don't want to project by saying that I would say you're not thrilled with the way your 2017 season has gone overall. It's not your 2013 season. It's not. It's it's different. Yeah. But I mean, is it is it does it feel like and maybe you're placing too much. I don't want to place too much of the blame on the injury, but do you feel like the injury kind of almost just didn't never allowed you to get into a good routine, get into a rhythm that feels like the source of your quote unquote issues for the year. And you feel like if I'm healthy and good, like everything is still there. I feel still, still feel like it's there. Or do you think there's other, other contributing factors to what your 2017 season became? Yeah, I think, um, I definitely think the injury is the biggest, you know, if, if I was, if someone was to say, why didn't things go the way you wanted them to this year? I would say, well, I would say because of the injury. You can't and then, swing when you're not healthy. Yeah, you know, and and 
you you play away from or you swing away from pain and so i started to get the club way on the inside on the on the downswing and swing i mean my path was so far from in to out um because anything going left at impact was putting pressure on that ribbon on that hmm. joint and it would hurt so like i played for four months without hitting a shot left or right hmm. and you can't do that no. you know that's just not you know so um you know it made me play a certain way and you know, I, I, I've sort of, I'm proud of the fact that I used to be a very much draw bias player. And the last few years I've been able to hit it both ways. And I definitely think that's been a big part of my success is being able to get the back right pins now because I can hit it at the middle of the green and I can fade it back and stuff like that. And this year I just haven't been able to do that. And that's why, you know, if you look at my statistics, my wedge play has not been very good. My iron play has not been very good. Um, but I, even over the last couple of weeks, I feel like I've made some little tweaks in my swing, which is starting to make it feel a little bit better. But it's so nice that I have this time now in the off season to work on all this stuff and, and make sure that, you know, it, it hopefully never happens again. We were uh, we were yesterday at Shore Acres and uh, Brendan Todd was there kind of doing a bit of a clinic and talking about wedge play. And he just kind of made an interesting point. He was talking shit. Yeah, he was talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> he just made a really interesting point that I've never thought of when it comes to wedges. He just, you know, is, is hitting them and saying, you know, um, spin comes from creating speed and co- through the contact zone. Somebody like me has a slower swing speed and, you know, I have shorter gaps between my wedges, whereas somebody like Rory creates yeah. a lot of speed through the ball may struggle more with wedges because he has larger gaps between his wedges. Is that something kind of that, or what's what kind of your thought process that goes through your practicing and your analysis of your wedge game? Yeah. So I had this. And, and also what are those gaps in your wedges? Yeah. What are these gaps? Yeah. yeah. So I had, I had this conversation with Thomas Bjorn um, in Scotland. I, I played the first day in Scotland, Scottish open and I, I came in and uh, my wife, Erica was having, lunch with his girlfriend grace and we, i sat down with thomas i said i need to talk to you about wedges and then he made a very interesting point is he said what makes you so long like in terms of my speed and hand speed and, and all that stuff it's it's also what makes you struggle with your wedges and it's just and he said opposite with me i i hit the ball nowhere but it's why i'm good with my wedges is because i don't have that flash speed at the bottom um and i'm not able to create that speed that that you guys can to hit it so far um so that there is there is merit to that um but you look at someone like a dj or look at someone um who's been able to control that and that's to do with you know there's a lot of you know i see dj and i i I see the way he used to hit wedges and taking huge divots and and you see him now he hardly takes a divot he clips it so every single time he hits a wedge shot it's so consistent you know so he doesn't hit one that it might be a degree de lofted but a degree is five yards yeah you know, and five yards in our game is the difference between hitting it stiff and hitting it over the back of the green in a terrible lie and making five. Right. You know, so he uses um, track man. I heard. <laughs> I've heard that on TV. <laughs> he um, does. Yeah, a little bit. Does he? From, from time uh, to time. So those gaps. So like, say for example, my 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 full lob wedge would go a hundred yards. I use four wedges because of you know mo- I think most long longer you know, most of the long, longer say, guys do use the four exact wedges thing we spoke of is your distance is going to give you more wedges too so it's kind of a it's exactly. a tough conundrum exactly you're going to have more wedges than you are a three iron so that's why i forgo using a three iron and, and use four wedges but i'd hit my my fill out lob wedge 100 yards uh my fill out um 56 115 uh my fill out 52 between 125 and 130 it's usually like 127 128 and then my fill out wedge goes 
145. So there's always, and you're never going to get these exact perfect numbers. No. And you're always going to have to determine, okay, where's the wind? How, how soft are the greens? How much is this going to spin? You know, there's a lot that goes into wedge play uh, and a lot that you sort of have to calculate. But um, so there are obviously big gaps, but you can practice and you can train to, to have certain swings for certain numbers. And um, like I used to do sort of like the pelts thing where you have, I had three different swings for, for each wedge. So if I'm using four wedges, that's 12 numbers I have between say 70 yards and 145 yards. So you can lay it up to one of those numbers and get sort of close to one of them, no doubt. And then, so my, because I feel like my wedge play was very good at a point. And I, th- I think it's just, I need to work on it a little bit. And, and if I can create the right path and the, and the right speed through impact, um, there's no doubt that I can get back to being a really good wedge player. But uh, it's something I have struggled with this year. But you see someone like DJ practice it a lot and, and do what he does, and, and you can see the results. So, A quick break here. We're going to take a minute to talk a bit about Travis Matthew Apparel. Again, this is the recent acquisition that Callaway Golf has made in the apparel industry. Uh, if you're not familiar with Travis Matthew, they draw their inspiration from all aspects of Southern California culture and lifestyle. Their focus is on making premier men's apparel for work and play, and they've cemented their foothold uh, in the sportswear world. Travis Matthew wants to make sure you're looking great, whether that's grinding it out in the office or squeezing in nine holes on Friday afternoon with your buddies, coaching your kids' soccer games, or getting in after-hours shenanigans with the boys. Uh, Travis Matthew is throwing a party, and you are invited. So swing by at travismatthew.com and find out more. Now back to the podcast with Rory McElroy. Do you, I mean, we kind of wanted to ask you a bit about TrackMan and about your analysis of the golf swing. You mentioned just a few of the things that kind of your injury did to you as far as the path of your swing. How dialed into TrackMan are you? And I, I just remember like you getting into it with Brandel a bit, talking about upward angles of swings. And I, I just kind of wanted to hear how you how you view your golf swing, what changes you make to your golf swing when you look at the data. Are you like, I'm doing this, this, and this? I mean, how much are you relying on TrackMan? Uh it's a company. I don't think you should solely rely on TrackMan. I, I, I definitely don't think that's the way to go. I, I think it's a great tool that, if used properly, can be very beneficial. Um, but some of these guys that are out here and, and using TrackMan for every single golf swing that they make in, in terms of attack angle, path, you know, it gets too much because you at the end of the day you have to look at what the golf ball's doing. Right. You know, and that's the real that big tells thing. the story. Yeah, that tells the story for sure. So um, if I'm struggling with my swing or I feel like I'll say to my coach, Mike, I really feel like I'm getting this on play and it feels like I'm coming down and it doesn't seem like I'm attacking it from the inside. And we're like, okay, put TrackMan on and at least it will tell you because it's, it's objective data. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not subjective. It's not what the eye sees. It's actually, that is what it is. It's your baseline. It's a baseline. Exactly. So, um, so we use it for that. Um, we use it for some wedge distances and stuff like that. It, you know, obviously for club fitting, it's been a, it's been a really useful tool to, to help maximize how far you can hit it. Um, you know, and yeah, look, attack angle, hitting up on it with a driver is obviously going to create more, uh, better launch conditions, you know, higher launch, lower spin is going to go further. So, um, all of that stuff goes into it as well, but I wouldn't be, you know, I'd use it a little bit. Um, I think, it's definitely helped me understand how a ball does what it does in the air in terms of, um, like I, I always used to think that 
you know your club face should be open to hit a cut and your club face should be closed to hit a draw when it's actually they should to hit a cut it should be left of your intended target line and working it back because the ball starts primarily where the where the club face is aiming and then the opposite so um when i was actually struggling with my swing in 13 uh i i sort of every time i wanted to hit a cut i closed the club face because it just encouraged me to swing left and every time i i wanted to hit a draw i opened the club face because it encouraged me to swing that little bit further right because it just gives you more of an idea because if you go back to all these pga manuals when we didn't have track man it was always you know to hit a cut you know, aim your body left where you want the ball to start and aim the club where you want the ball to finish when it's actually the opposite way, opposite way around. So um, so it's been, it's been a very useful tool. I think it's very helpful, but only if it's used in the right way. And I think people can get uh, a little carried away with it at times. But um, I, I use my TrackMan. I wouldn't use it every day, but I would, I would use it very regularly. And uh, I think it's a very useful tool. We got, uh, as from the Pro-Am yesterday, we got our TrackMan data. Yeah. And I got an email. It compares my data to yours. Okay. So I'm not going to embarrass you by oh, okay. putting, putting nice. all the, by the information in I'm front I'm injured, of you. though. I don't have as much speed as no, I No, you got to. me by nine miles an hour with the club head <laughs> speed. I do have you with smash factor. I don't know what that means, but... What are you, uh, 150 or 151? 149. What am I? 147? No. That's what it says. It's, I don't. The data doesn't lie. Bullshit. I think maybe they're just trying to make the pro-am people feel good. <laughs> trying to fluff my numbers. <laughs> Actually, the guy, Bruce, that um, that got the car yesterday, he made me hit his golf ball on TrackMan. Did you yesterday. really? Oh, yeah, that's, because he has, that's good strategy So, yeah, right so it was like on the ninth hole, wasn't it? So he goes, yep. Bruce, Bruce, whatever, 337. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, the spin rate, mine's 3,600. Is that terrible? It's too high. Yeah, you could hit it way further. What's your launch uh, launch angle? Ten point three. Yeah, you need to get that launch angle up to fourteen. It and says get yours this. is ten point one. I don't know. This, might be, this might be old fake news data. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, this maybe is... it's Rory Sabatini. Rory Sabatini. <laughs> <laughs> so I need my launch angle up higher. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You need to speak to your boy JT. He'll tell you all about high launch conditions and hitting up on it. That's his specialty? That's his specialty. All right. Well, we need to get that dialed in. The folks from Callaway are listening here. So, um, Moving on from that, I think uh, going going back on your, on your season, I know we kind of debriefed on 2017, but I think a lot of, and we talked about this uh, in Scotland actually, a lot of stuff dates back to, uh, kind of a just a, the way the cards fell goes back to Nike getting out of the equipment business and that you had this new freedom to test all of this equipment, which ironically was kind of how you ended up injuring yourself, testing your equipment for hours and hours, kind of led into this period where you had uh, not only this injury going on, but also this freedom to do whatever you wanted. And if I was to estimate how it how it appeared to me, the freedom appeared to be a great thing and then kind of ended up working against you and you were doing a lot of tinkering. Is that kind of how you saw it as well? Yeah, I 100%. I think I was actually overwhelmed uh, at the end of last year with the amount of stuff that, that I had and, and you know, I'm there and I'm, I've got, you know, obviously all these different manufacturers that have, that have sent stuff to me and different golf balls and different, and you're testing every single combination and it's, you know, it's sometimes hard to differentiate what's really good and what's, and you have to go out and play on the course with it. And it's, um, it was pretty tough at the end. I, you know, it was, it was, it was tough because you, 
there there were certain clubs and certain balls that I hit were like, okay, I don't like that. I know that that's discarded straight away. So that you know, you you whittle, whittle, whittle your way down to what you what you know is going to be sort of close to what you're going to end up with. But that still is, you know, maybe three or four different golf balls and um, you know two or three drivers or fairway woods and a few sets of irons, a few sets of wedges. So you're still and all those different combinations. So there's still a lot to be to be tested. Uh, so yeah, it did. I, I thought having this freedom was going to be a great thing. Um, and then I sort of realized, man, I wish I was just, I think if I just go with you know one single company, it makes things so much more simple. And that's that's the sort of decision I ended up with in the middle of the season. Well, to say, will you confirm then for the equipment junkies that beat me up that you said you told me you would be a free agent for all of 2017? Yeah, no, yeah. So I did say that. I did not expect to sign with anyone this year. Um, and playing at Augusta sort of changed that a little bit. But um, yeah, no, I did say to you that I was going to be a free agent all of this year and play what I wanted to. But um, I I didn't know what was going to happen, and and obviously you didn't either. So take that message. Yeah, boards. there you go. <laughs> take that golf WRX. <laughs> so what was the recruiting process like? I mean, did did any of the companies really go above and beyond and kind of pull out all the stops? Um. Some more so than others. Um, obviously, the you know, obviously went with TaylorMade in the end, and that was that was great. And um, I'd played their driver at the end of last year, and whatever. And they like they they did the hard sell and, and whatever. And so did a couple of companies. Um, and there was actually a couple of companies that were very standoffish and and wouldn't even send me equipment. Or and I was like, oh, okay, that's fine, that's that's okay, no problem. Um, so, so you just go to Dick Sporting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I was like, you know what? I don't even. Yeah, fine. I, I don't need. To, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so, um, but no, not no one went above and beyond. They, you know, I think they appreciated as well the position I was in, and you know, leave you alone, let you sort of make your own decision at the end of the day, and everyone was respectful of that, and. Um, I became close with you know a, a couple of people from different manufacturers and, and it was a tough decision in the end because I'd built personal relationships with people that you know they genuinely thought that you know that there was a chance that I would uh, go with someone else but at the end of the day I had to make the decision that was best for me and and that's why why I went with TaylorMade in the end. Was it what and I know that there's a, a sum of a lot of parts that end up to the final decision to that but is there anything leading say driver distance iron spin rates ball I mean is there anything that was like really the convincing final factor in that regard ball ball yeah ball was the big thing and it wasn't you know I, and it was a ball that I that I needed right there and then it wasn't something where well we can make you a ball and if you wait three or six months you know we'll have the ball it's perfect I needed something like then yeah. You know, and, and that's why that was the reason I, I hit that tailor my ball. I was like, wow, this is and because of the struggles I had in the wind at Augusta, that was a huge thing in my mind. I needed something that was good in the wind and, and that was the ball that came out the best. Bad hosting by me. I know. Kind of sponsor as soon as I asked that. It's like I'm not supposed to do this. So the prototype thing is super interesting to me because it must be so weird to kind of have a team of scientists with clipboards just ready to kind of make whatever you tell them to make. Right? Yeah. It's tough as well because I'm not that way inclined. I'm like, give me something that works and I'll play it. You know, I, I, I don't need something that's bespoke to me. I don't need something that you have to change the dimple pattern on or, you know, just give me something that I think works and I yeah. like what I like what I see 
in terms of ball flight and the window it's going in. And because you're happy. used to reacting to what a ball does, not being in that shoot that state of like make this around me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what, what you know, where yeah. would you start? Yeah, how do you even? articulate what you're trying to say 400 yards off the tee with no spin and, and but <laughs> at the same the time can spin with a wedge yeah. like it just it's so hard so um but that that's their job their job is to make something that um suits everyone i guess you know and and uh but all these manufacturers make great stuff and you know i i was witness to that you know i, I tested all of it and you know it's you know it's it's tiny little percentages here or there and what might suit one person mightn't suit another and it, at the end of the day what suited me you know was the best was um for the most part the the tailor made yep. stuff all right moving on <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> i can see you're sort of <laughs> wriggling in your chair going stop saying tailor <laughs> we can bleep that part but um on top of all these changes you got married in april yeah um which was awesome you're so not it, you know, 2017, as much as we're saying it's been a bad year, it's been right. an unbelievable year. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. I mean, you're not, you're far from the only player that is in a personal relationship. So, but it's, so it's not like specifically unique to you. And yeah, I don't think it, it's, and you don't use it necessarily as an excuse for anything that has happened. But I think, you know, in, in kind of going week to week and seeing you guys more often and kind of seeing the personal side of everything you guys do and the process that goes into it. This may be something that listeners or fans may not understand and that how much that changes things. What has changed really in your life? I mean, there's things that go into planning a wedding. You're, there's a person that you are with, I would imagine, more of the time now that you're married and when you're engaged. Uh, what, what has changed is in, in a way that, re- that it relates to your, your golf career as well. How has that relationship and going through that like life commitment affected the way you practice or anything with your routine? Yeah, I mean, if anything, she's encouraging me to get out of the door, get out the door more, and go you. practice. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but no, it's not saying you don't practice. No, enough. no, 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 no. Yeah. Of course, um, no. It's been great. Look, I, you know, Erica traveled with me um, before we got married, so like that was always, and, and we lived together before we got married, and you know, so getting married didn't change anything. Right. It just made it official yeah. more than anything else. Um, so nothing's really changed. I mean, it it felt like the the most simple thing in the world to do. It wasn't, you know, we we had a great party over a weekend with all our closest friends and family, and we had a great time. So, um, but you know, you're married then, and and there's there's you know we you know, were in the process of of we just bought a house and we're just starting to to sort of renovate it and stuff like that. So there's there's different, and I'm definitely in a different place in my life to say where I was a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, where I, you know, there's, there's, there's guys on tour that I would have hung out with more because I was single or not married. And, you know, whether that's Ricky or JT or, you know, whoever it is. And now it's more, you know, Oh, let's go out with this couple or let's go out with that couple. <laughs> and it's a little, you start to do that sort yeah. of stuff. So it's, it's a little different, but, um, but it's great to have someone that that's there that, doesn't care if you shoot 65 or 85 and you know you come off the golf course and you might be pissed off because you've shot a bad score but there's someone there at the end of the at the end of the day that you know is going to be there no matter what you know that's that's really nice so eric is a a massive part of my my team um and i'm sure i mean she is going to be a massive part of hopefully my success going forward so but it's been a it's been a transitional year 
uh, planning a wedding is is stressful and um i mean she took more of the burden than than i did but that was um, when you were calling me to say let's do another podcast yeah exactly i'm like i'm sort of yeah i I've had two hours on the phone with a wedding planner. I'm done. I want to talk about something else. Um, but no, so it's been it's been a really cool year, and um, yeah. But it, it always just, it's always I've always earmarked 2017 just with a lot of stuff, um, even like with equipment wise and stuff, and and getting married. It was always going to be a bit of a transitional year. I didn't want. I didn't think an injury would you know go into that as well. But it's. Um, but I mean, off the golf course, it's it's been awesome. I, I couldn't, you know, can't complain one bit about anything that way. So my wife plans weddings, so I'm always really curious to ask people, you know, what's one thing that you really kind of hated about the wedding planning process? Um, she doesn't do a lot of weddings that are quite like yours. So I don't know what I'll learn from this. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, for someone that's planning a wedding, just, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to be talked into stuff that you don't need. Are you, you know, like, and now Erica was huge on that. And I'm sort of a guy that just goes to the flow and say, yeah, that sounds good. Or, and, and Erica's like, how much is that costing? You know, and, and so she, you know, I, I said in my wedding speech, I was like, I was actually like the wife and she was the husband in terms of like this whole thing, because I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And she was like, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> so, um, so the roles are reversed a little bit, but I think that's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, a wedding is where you get all of your friends and family together and you just have the best time. Um, and everyone, you know, the, the people that you see in that room that day, you would never have imagined would be in the same place ever. Mm. You know, you see, you look at the back corner and you see uncle and aunt, whoever, and then you look over here and you see Sergio and whoever. And it's like, <laughs> well, this is so weird. It's, uh, but it's so cool. Yeah. It's just, it, it was a really, really great weekend. And that's kind of what I was, the reason for asking was I think it's so easy to be as a golf fan to think, yeah. you look at this event before it and then, oh yeah, everybody's getting married this weekend. All right, now he's back this week. Like, what can we expect from him? And it doesn't really highlight the difference in life versus your job. Yeah. Your job is golf. Yeah. My, yeah. Of course it is. And as much as you don't want to call it that because that it's not a job. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm working on the right. golf course. It's a dream job. It's a dream. It's what you want to be it's doing. It's a dream come obviously. true. It's, it's how I make a living. Um, but it's not, it's not a job. But at the same time, it's, you know, if I didn't have golf, you know, what, 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 what else would I be doing, I guess, you know? So, but it is, it's so, it's, yeah, you can definitely lose perspective on stuff like that being like i think if you played golf week weekend week out in, t- in terms of being on tour weekend week out you would lose you need some sort of balance everyone does um and as you know general golf fans sometimes don't understand that because you know everyone's a person and everyone has a life and everyone has you know there's stuff going on in people's lives that you don't realize and um you know, even take you know prime example tiger you know you know I think people struggle to differentiate Tiger the golfer and Tiger the person. And, you know, Tiger the person is someone that we all need to support right now and, and get behind him and hopefully he makes a recovery and, and, and gets healthy again and gets back out on the golf course so he can be Tiger the golfer. But right now it's Tiger the person that everyone wants to, to root for. So Yeah, and I think you, you just kind of – there's only a few guys that can really relate to it. You've been, I think, one of them and that you reach this certain level of – 
of I don't know if it, I don't know if fame's the word or if it's just kind of I don't know the way I remember being watching a kid and watching Tiger grow up. I never felt like I was watching a human. You know yeah. what I mean? Not that he's a robot. No, but it does. It dehumanizes yeah. people. And you see it not not just in sports, but just every walk of life. And and now that everything and everyone is so much more accessible with social media, and and it it dehumanizes people even more. Yeah. Um. So that's when people just need to take a step back sometimes and be like, okay, this is actually this is a real person that went to a real school that had real parents that has a real family and and even though they do something different and their lives may be drastically different to someone else's you know they still at the end of the end of the day are no different and that's sometimes something that the general sports fan just needs to realize um and i i i haven't like i'm you know, compared to tiger i'm right. i'm nothing but um I've seen firsthand just by being a huge Tiger fan and seeing the stuff that he's had to deal with and how people have reacted to it. It's like it's sort of not fair, you know. It's you know. He, I, mean, I think you you probably are fine with not ever. No, I'm 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 one hundred percent happy not reaching that level of. I'd love to have the success, yeah. but without the the other stuff. That's you know. I don't but think it it's happens. it's a double edged sword right. because to to have that success, you're going to have to deal with that other stuff. So, you know. I, if that means I only win, you know, if I win whatever, I'm 10 majors less than I'm now. I don't want to be 10 majors right. less than them at the end of my career. But say that I end up with half a dozen less, I'll be, I'd, you know, and, and still have somewhat of a normal life. Yeah. Happy days. <laughs> I think what kind of goes underappreciated with what you guys do and are asked to do is how often you have to be on. In mm. that when you show up at the golf course and you're you're good at it, not everyone's good at it, but... You look people in the eye, you talk to them, but you are, somebody's always wanting something from you. The tour is going to want you to go, you know, pop over the range and do this, or a sponsor is going to want you to do this and this, and that is almost a, I don't want to, it's, it's certainly a distraction of some kind, but it's its a kind of a challenge that, um, I don't know, I don't think I fully understood it until I started walking inside the ropes and you, you hear, you know, fans say something to you every single hole and dumb stuff every single hole and I, I I'm not above this because I'm I'm kind of in this we're, we're in this kind of weird media space where I make requests of you too, but that's gonna blend in with however many media requests you have. And I mean, how how challenging is it to balance what you know you need to do versus what you want to do? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you have to realize, you know, you have an obligation um, to yourself, but also to your sponsors, to the tour, to your fans, to do enough. I don't think you have to be overly giving, but you have to do enough. And if you can figure out what you enjoy doing. So for me, I enjoy doing stuff like this. I enjoy um, doing stuff with kids. I, you know, so yeah. if, you, if you figure out what you enjoy doing. <laughs> this one's both. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but so if you figure that out, it doesn't become so much of a chore. And it's just, it's it's actually sort of fun, but you're doing something good at the same time. It's good for you. It's good for them. It's good for everyone. No. So that's sort of, and I've, I've had a few years of, of figuring that out. I went through the problem of, geez, I, do I have to do this. Do I have to do that? But if you can figure out what you like to do, and, and I think that's the biggest thing as well. Um, someone told me when I, after I won the U S open in 2011, um, someone said to me, the biggest thing you're going to have to learn to do is to say no. Yeah. 
and and it's true because you just you can't do everything but if you figure out what you want to do what makes sense what you enjoy perfect did you struggle with that because you know whether it was working at the tour or whatever i feel like i've seen a lot of guys who have don't really have that gear where they can say no and they tend to kind of get taken advantage of i feel like ricky's kind of i was just about to say ricky but he's such a nice guy and that's what i mean though i think it it feels like it must be so hard to say no right to someone's face there's got to be a point where you have to have to just say you know i i i'm sorry guys but i have to do what's right for me and look if that is what's right for ricky then great but i feel like ricky doesn't get a day off you know he, he he goes from tournament to someone's charity day to the next tournament to someone else's charity day to a sponsor shoot to you know so like it's it must take its toll and look he's he's young and he's single and he, he can do all these things and he doesn't really have many um he's not tied down anyway i guess so he can do this but you know has to take some time for himself as well and i i i had to figure that out as well because i was always the one saying yes and you just have to you can still please people and you know you don't have to feel like an asshole by saying no you know you can just you know, do what you need to do and 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 limit it and well i've always kind of extrapolated that out to you know that plus money growing at these astronomical rates um you know it's hard to say and i'm curious what you think on whether or not that'll kind of have a take its toll and and have an effect on the length of guys careers yeah um i don't i i think you reach a stage where it doesn't you know obviously you know there's guys in their 30s right now that could retire and be very happy and be comfortable for the rest of their lives um but I think you reach a certain point where it's like it doesn't, you know, it's not about the money. It's about the titles. It's about, you know, trying to leave your mark on this game and, and have a legacy. So um, so it really depends what your what your drive is. Knowing no one turned professional and wanted to play in the PGA Tour because they wanted $100 million in their bank account. They wanted to win tournaments and win trophies. And, you know, that's the reason that we all started to, to want to become pre- professional golfers and play this game. Um, the money is just icing on the cake. You know, that's just, it's, it's, it's a bonus. It's so nice to, to be able to, not just nice. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of money that we get to play for. It's, it's incredible. Um, but it is the way the world has went with media rights, with TV deals, with, with everything. It's not just in golf. It's, you know, you look at the, the deals in basketball now and baseball and football, um, you know, the, the money that the guys are on, um, over in Europe for soccer. I mean, it's it's massive. Yeah. Um, Golfers in general don't play for that much money relative to other sports. No, I mean, you look at the U.S. Open tennis last week. First <sighs> prize was $3.7 million. I saw that. I mean, that is just unreal. Um, but it just shows where, you know, and corporate sponsors get a lot out of it. They can take clients. And, you know, you've got to realize these days that, that, that high-end professional sports, it's a business at the end of the day. And... Um, the ones that are providing that entertainment are the players and the athletes and, and they have to be compensated for that as well, I guess. Do, uh, what's, what's the, the biggest difference between, you know, the way the media presents the game or covers the game and the reality, or like, what's an example of something that like the media is covering this as if this is reality, but it's not necessarily the case. Um, in golf or in any in everything, I would I would I would lean towards golf, golf? with it. <laughs> I mean, for for example, for me, like, and I'm not to lead you right into your into the answer, um, but I, to me, my opinion, 
the reality of necessarily winning a major gets a bit lost. And that when people say Rory's in a major drought, going three years without winning a major isn't a disaster in terms of the actual reality of trying to win a major tournament. So that's kind of what I was going for. So like, what, what do yeah. you see and read that, that you say like, well, that's, that's just not how we view things on the tour, how we would, how we would describe that situation. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, and I think again, that goes back to, to this culture and the society and, and everything is, it seems it's so much more condensed and, and, reactive and people forget what you did two weeks ago or you know it you know what happened today or what you know it's sort of it all gets lost a little bit um so that that that's a fair comment but whenever you know someone like me who won four majors in four years and then i i go zero and three you know it's a it's a fair comment um but i wouldn't call it a droid i just say no that was just an example yeah no he's you know zero and eleven and you know it is what it is but you know, hopefully I can come out of it, but I'm, it's not a, it's not like I'm there panicking going, geez, I haven't won one in three years. And, you know, I'm 28 years of age and right. there's a lot of road ahead of me, I hope, um, to be able at least give myself chances to, to win. Um, but it's tough. I mean, it's hard to win them. It's hard to, it's hard to win any golf tournament. You know, the, 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 the fields are so deep, you know, people are so, you know, the difference between the first guy and the hundredth guy is very, very small. It's it's tiny little percentages here and there that make the difference. And you know, some some weeks you're on, and you you know you look at someone like a like Jason Day this week. He he's sort of struggled this year, and he's you know I know this is going out in a couple of days time, but uh, you know he's 13 under after two days here, and he has a great chance to win the golf tournament. And you know you know, people wouldn't have thought that maybe four weeks ago. Right. You know, so it's, uh, things can change so quickly in golf and it's, you know, form can come and go, but, um, I feel like through the, through the ups and the downs, everything sort of levels out. Everyone finds their level. Um, Cause so. I think I, if I crunch the numbers, you've, you can paint it two ways. You can say you're O for your last 12 majors, or you can say you've won four of the last 28, which is like 14, 15%. If you maintain that ratio through the rest of your career, you're passing Arnold Palmer in majors one and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so yeah, I kind of led you into that part, but I, in, in general, is there yeah, something I think that, it, that yeah, something I think like, every, everything sort of sensationalized, but something like the media is um, talking about the ball going too far in reality. Are you guys like, you know, I'm not, we don't care about this or you guys are way off on this. Like for instance, I was talking to a player. I won't say his name because there's a reason why he was saying this case, but he's saying, well, the ball's never going to get restricted because of this, 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 and this, and it made a ton of sense. So, yeah, of course. kind of the way, but that just kind of an example. So, I don't know well, if broadly, ball, I don't think the ball will ever get restricted. Um, and this, this is a completely off, but you know, I a regulation or a you know, I I tournament golf ball for a major that would be something I would be open to because it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it does. It happens in tennis. They go from playing a Wilson ball at the U.S. Open to a Slazenger at the at the at Wimbledon to a Babolat ball at, at the French. So people have to adjust to these certain balls and they do stuff differently. They spin differently. They react differently off the court. So um, that would be cool. But I mean, does the ball go too far? I think in terms of sustainability of golf courses and obviously, you know, 
Shipnuck's got this thing about 9,000 yard golf courses and stuff. Well, there is going to be a point where that might need to happen, but that's not sustainable. Like trying to build a 10,000 yard golf course is just so much land and the water that has to be used to maintain that golf course. And it's just, it's nuts, you know, that, that can't happen. So we, we do need to find a way to, to, to bring some of the old classic golf courses back into, um, playable tournament you know condition i don't know what who knows you know mike davis said maybe an 80 percent golf ball something like that to bring these you know golf golf courses that are six thousand eight hundred yards but then the long hitters will still have the advantage because it's an 80 percent ball right. so it's you know so everyone's going to just hit it 80 percent of what they usually do so it's not going to bring everyone closer together it's still going to have, you know, the, the long hitters are the long hitters are always going to have an advantage. Yeah, that's just the way the game is. Which is fair, right? Because you know they should be rewarded for something that's a skill. I've always said it's a skill because I, I I'm five nine and 160 pounds, and you know I hit it as far as Dustin Johnson, who's six four and 200 pounds. You know, so it's not it's not about how big you are, how you know everyone has the ability to do it. It's just a matter of finding out the way that you can. And, 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 you know, one drive that goes 350 is the same as being able to hold a six-foot putt. You know, it's one shot in a round of golf. This is totally hypothetical, of course, but, you know, let's say this tournament ball is instituted. How long would you feel you need, you know, to test and, and really feel comfortable with, with something that's totally brand new? I probably need... Um... This is why it can't happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, no, no, it would need. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious, you know, is it a year? Is it? No, 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 it's two weeks. It's, yeah. it's you, you practice with it. You, you go and you play wherever that golf, that tournament is being held. You go play that golf course and you play a few rounds with it and you, you, you jot everything down that happens. Okay. It, it pitched this, it spun this, it, you know, when it was left to right, it got hit this much by the wind, right to left this much. I can't hold it up as much. It, you know, it goes further downwind than my ball does, you know, stuff like that. Hmm. I think, yeah, give give us two weeks to figure it out, and I think we'd be fine. All right, we're going to cut part one right there. I think this uh, this first half of the recording that we did with Rory last week uh, was a bit more on the serious side, um, but pretty awesome to hear him flesh out a lot of thoughts on all the things going on in golf and things going on with his game. The second half is... Uh, kind of come out here on Wednesday it's a bit more grab bag a bit more random questions and kind of a bit more freewheeling um but I think you guys are really going to enjoy that part as well uh but yeah we talked for uh over two hours so we had to make sure to split this up into two parts so thank you for tuning in be sure to subscribe uh on whatever network you use to download podcasts and uh be ready for part two on Wednesday thanks Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.